I think the question on everyone's mind is, how did you go to Maryland instead of Penn State? <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say Ohio State. Come on now. <laughs> well, he was in Pennsylvania. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to get the uh, misconception that these guys have never struggled in their businesses. And we all know that's not true. Really look at it, dissect it, and autopsy it, and find out what could we have done differently, and then how do we go forward. Surprisingly, most stayed, but morale was not great. And a year later, we realized that that was a big mistake. Hey guys, if you're enjoying these episodes here of our Unfiltered Podcast, be sure and join us live in Las Vegas because you think it's fun watching, it's going to be a way more fun if you're there with us in the audience. Have a glass of whiskey and some good conversation. Get registered at epic2020event.com. Guys, here we are again uh, doing another round of Unfiltered in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. What's the place? The Royal Palms? Royal, Royal Palms. Palms. Royal Hyatt. Palms. It's a high property. Hyatt. Beautiful place. Spa and Resort, Scottsdale. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wanted to talk to you guys about a subject that, that we don't talk about as much. You've had so much success. It's ridiculous. So much success. Ridiculous. Just getting tired of winning. <laughs> I got no. a G-Wagon. I got a G-Wagon. No, not tired of winning. <laughs> Never. Um, but I think sometimes it's easy to get the uh, misconception that these guys have never struggled in their businesses. <laughs> and we all know that's not true. In fact, it's the struggles that define us. It's, you know, I always say that, that I learn everything I learn out of mistakes. When things go right for me, half the time I don't even know why. But when they go wrong, you figure out why and you learn. So I wanted to talk about that today, about one of the biggest challenges you faced in business and uh, the lesson that you learned from that. And uh, Drew, if you want, you can kick it off and we'll have the discussion. Where, gonna, where, where to begin? Uh, talk well, about the scotch and cigars. Let's, oh, yeah, let's, oh, look, I don't am be remiss. so sorry. Don't be remiss. <laughs> what the hell kind of host am I? And, and they want me to MC Epic? Well, you're uh, the master. Gary, Gary, talk to us about the cigars and the scotch. Uh, so the scotch is a Johnny Walker Blue label, which is a very popular scotch. Uh, it's a blended scotch, so it's not a single malt. And uh, pretty smoky. Uh, it's got tremendous flavor, uh, but smooth and uh, long on the finish. Uh, would highly recommend it. It should be in everybody's scotch whiskey. Uh, you know, if you've got a bar, it's, it's worth that. Talk to me about collection. long in the finish. What does that mean exactly? It stays on the palate for, you know, 25 to 30 seconds. Uh, the weaker whiskeys, you know, you taste it and it sort of goes away. This one just hangs on your palate, and uh, so you can sip it, and uh, you can enjoy it over a longer period of time, and it also pairs up nicely with, you know, a cigar or something yeah. that you might be... Uh, you know, I haven't said this today, but you are the coolest guy I know. <laughs> Cheers to that. You don't know very many people then. Cheers to that. <laughs> I know dozens. That is nice. We're going to have to upgrade your uh, mm. your network. Doesn't that stay long on the palate? That's long on the palate. Long on the finish. Long on the finish. Long on the finish. And uh, this is a uh, this point. is a diamond uh, uh, crown. Uh, it's a Maximus. Uh, it's been in my humidor for about ten years. Um, it's not a super popular cigar, but it's definitely one that you want to try. Uh, it's a Nicaraguan cigar. It's a uh, it's it's nice. It's very smooth. Why Matches. don't you talk to us about uh, your humidor in the Caymans? Well, the what's in there? 
mostly Cubans, <laughs> uh, obviously because it's easy to get. Uh, Partagas, uh, Monte Cristos, mm. uh, Oil de Monterey's, um, mostly my favorites, Romeo y Julieta. Oh, those uh, are good. We're going to have to do one of these events down Absolutely. there so we can kind of hang out, do the, uh, do the beach thing and sit down and kind of show you the humidor. Man, that'd be nice. So now that we've done proper introductions, We're good now, right? I apologize right. for not doing that sooner. <laughs> Thank you for getting me on the right track there. Drew, uh, I know that you are overwhelmed with success and you're tired of winning because you win so much as well. Uh, actually, never tired of winning. But certainly you've had some challenges in your business life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have had uh, successes and lessons in life and, and, and business. Um, the, one, the one that comes to mind, I, I guess, was, a, was just a a culmination of things, you know, that uh, signs that were there that were not paid attention to, um, and and then trying to make moves, almost like like you were in quicksand. Every move you made just got you further down. So it was, uh, I'll set the scene. It was 1990. Um, you know, my business is outside Philadelphia, so we were in a a rural suburb, and we had, you know, we'd moved there in '78, and. My father you know, was a visionary, and he he was chasing the new construction boom out into Chester County, Pennsylvania, which was horse country at the time. And you know, we we got involved with some big builders, you know, track housing builders, and we were doing our fair share of commercial, a little bit of commercial work as well, as well as some custom home stuff. We were not big into residential replacement and service. We we did service kind of as was a necessary evil, and. Um, uh, I, I don't recall the exact order, so I'll just rattle off a series of things that happened in 1990. Uh, the Yellow Pages didn't print us in five of the nine books that we were listed in. It was a, a computer error on their part, and they zeroed us out, and so we, we weren't in fi uh, five, of the, uh, five of the nine books. So Back Fisher, in that, those days, that mattered. That mattered, yeah. back in 1990, yeah, sure right? I, was just, I, I had just come out of college at the University of Maryland in 1989, but I've been in the industry since I, I was 12 years old, and uh, so... I was, you know, getting involved in the business. I was actually involved in the new construction side of things. I was doing load calculations and blueprint takeoffs, and uh, and I'm I'm seeing and hearing about this stuff going down in our, in our business. And so the Yellow Pages zeros is out. Um, we had a general manager who did some creative accounting with. And it wasn't nefarious in that he was stealing money, but he just didn't know what he was doing. Uh, he was doing work in progress billing, and he didn't back out. You know, the, you know he would do a partial billing, and then he wouldn't back it out the next month when it went build build in full. So there was a, a doubling effect every looking month. Good. Yeah, it was, numbers were looking <laughs> Cash good. Cash flow not looking good though. Cash flow wasn't looking good. Yeah. And then we had two builders that went bankrupt because, of course, that was the the year that the recession kind of hit, eighty nine ninety. Gotcha. And so two builders went bankrupt, uh, bankrupt, and stuck stuck us for half a million dollars worth of receivables, plus the half a million dollars in the accounting error, plus the, the you know the five books you know not getting printed there. Uh, the union was picketing our jobs and picketing our uh, office. It went all the way to a vote. Uh, we even had to hire a union anti-union campaigner to go through that process, plus lawyer fees and whatnot, and you know to settle all the unfair labor charges that were levied against us by the mole and the people that he recruited within our organization. And um, if that weren't enough, my mom hit my dad with divorce papers because my dad started signing for everything personally and she said, I don't want to go down with the ship if the ship's going down, you're signing, signing everything away. And the 17-year-old Yorkshire Terror family dog, Cuddles, you know, she died, right? Wow. So, so boom, boom, boom. That doesn't sound boom. stressful at all. Yeah. A little, We're little talking stress. about challenges here. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. 
So my dad's heart attack actually didn't come until 94, uh, the 1990, surprisingly. But, um, you know, my, everything my dad tried to do and that we tried to do in the business, like I said a little bit ago, it was like in, moving in quicksand. I mean, every movement just took you further and further down. And so uh, we had joined a best practices organization, you know, right at that time to try and find a way to shift the business from new construction and commercial to residential replacement and service. And he started to make some moves there, but he wasn't sure exactly what he was doing. And because my dad was probably more comfortable with, you know, being in a truck with the tools than he was with the, with a, you know, Paynell and his accountant. And so in 1992, we did what we called the Phoenix Plan. This was supposed to allow us to rise from the ashes because we, we were certainly <laughs> burning at that point. <laughs> and biggest mistake we made, we, we took a 12% pay cut across the board. And we told everybody on the team we'd rather give you know, everybody a pay cut, everybody, um, including ownership, uh, give everybody a 12% pay cut and keep everybody gainfully employed. Well, we lost some people obviously as a result of that, but a lot, surprisingly most stayed. I mean, like 95% of the people stayed. And, but morale was not great. And a year later we realized that that was a big mistake. But that was also to a point that you had said earlier in our conversation today, we realized we couldn't cut our way to success. Right. It's like Bennigan's, you know, when they went out of business, Bennigan's in the year they went out of business, cut advertising and marketing and training by 75%. And then they were out of business within like a year and a half after that. We realized we couldn't do that. So we re we gave back the 12% plus another 3% and promised another 3% the year after and possibly 5% if we hit certain metrics. And we said, we're not going to fail. And we learned to become master marketers at that point. We dropped our first winter replacement letter at that point in January. Um, we uh, sent out 10,000 pieces. We got 150 leads and we learned how to sell. And I mean, it was a major mistake. We were, we were literally burning in embers and almost you know, bankrupt everywhere to the point where our competition said, you know, Cameron and Sons, look, they're out of business. See, they're not even in the yellow pages, mm. right? We were signed, my dad was signed personally everywhere. And we made, like I say, a lot of mistakes along the way in there. We, you know, we hurt some people and, you know, and whatnot, obviously with the pay cuts. And, but we, we learned a lesson that you're not going to cut your way to success. And so we, we became master marketers, learned how to sell and, you know, got our way turned around starting in 1992. That's when we began that, that change in uh, 90, you know, 93 was kind of the, the rise of the Phoenix, even though the Phoenix plan didn't work, the Phoenix <laughs> did start to rise. And by 1996, we went from being a six and a half million dollar company uh, in the early 90s that was on the brink of bankruptcy to an eight million dollar company that uh, was done tw doing 22% net profit. My dad turned around and sold it for eight million dollars and retired to Florida. And uh, yeah, so that was that was an epic, epic, epic failure, epic mistake, but lessons learned. So an important lesson for your clients today and uh, anybody watching this podcast. Uh, if they're in a jam, get better at marketing. Don't start hammering your people. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not going to cut your way to success. Number one, don't don't contract. You know, expand. Uh, you know, go after the hill. There's a great scene in the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson. I love that movie, and it's a it's one of the final battles, and the British are there with overwhelming numbers on you know on the hill and on the far side of the hill. And they're coming after, uh, of course, the, you know, the Americans and they're pushing, you know, towards the Americans. Now they met, the Americans were waiting for them on the other side of the hill 
and going to launch their next you know their attack because the militia was on the front line and as the british came over the hill the americans started to retreat and mel gibson sees that they're retreating and he goes and grabs the flag from the guy who's yelling retreat he grabs the flag and says no push forward and in the face of all adversity you know pushes forward takes the hill and that that battle scene is of course the battle that ends up changing the tide of the war and I think that's what you have to do. You know, when you're on the brink of failure, when you think you, you, you know, you're broken down, that's when you have to double down and bet on yourself and believe in yourself. And that's what my dad, my dad, that's what he did in 1990. And he knew there was no way he was gonna allow this thing to fail and he was not gonna allow any family to suffer. Uh, and, and he doubled down on himself. And that's, he gave me the gift of an amazing education, but he gave me also a great work ethic. And, and sometimes, it, you know, yes, I, I've pushed forward in the face of adversity and it, it has come back and, and, and bit me in the butt a little bit, but uh, more often than not, that pays off. You know, what's interesting is you were in your early 20s when that happened. And in the 30 years since then, you are one of the industry's uh, uh, most well-known experts on marketing, among other things. No small coincidence. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. Yeah. Good stuff. Like I said, sometimes the you know the, the pain is the gift if you see it. You know, mm. yes, we if we had some we, we we had some struggles. We had some a lot of heartfelt conversations and some tears. My brothers and I and my dad and in the offices many nights, and we worked our butts off nights and weekends to to resurrect that place. But as did our team. You know, we, it, it wasn't just the Camerons. It was our team, and and it was the culture and. That was my father, because I was in college. You know, my, my father had built that company and I was at, outside in the field. I really didn't know much all through high school and college. But when I came out of college, you know, I had learned about what culture meant. You know, I went right. to a Zig Ziglar Born to Win event and I learned about, uh, you know, being your best. And my father gave, like I said, gave me the gift of that amazing education. And so I was able to see the lessons that he wasn't necessarily teaching me. He was just living them. Right. And I paid attention and, uh, so yeah, you're right. I, I think the gifts that I have, I'm now able to kind of give, give back and pay forward um, because they were given to me. I think the question on everyone's mind is, how did you go to Maryland instead of Penn State? <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say Ohio State. Come on now. <laughs> well, he was in Pennsylvania. <laughs> truth, truth, exactly. <laughs> truth be told, I was actually uh, registered at Drexel and was about to go to Drexel and I got mono and got sick to the point where I couldn't go to school the year that I graduated high school. So I took a year off. I took a gap year, went to Hawaii, visited my brother and Pearl Harbor. And uh, when I came back, of course, I had to reapply. And I never looked at Penn State. I, I don't know why I didn't, but I went to Maryland and uh, the, the stadium there is called Bird Stadium. But during the summer, it's called Bird Beach. Mm. And everybody's just laying out, jamming to the music, throwing a Frisbee down. Who's this, that? <laughs> yeah. And, and a happy Terrapin. You got it. Yep. Something that you said that I think is worth also bringing up is you guys seem like you changed your mix. We did. You, you attacked a segment or a vertical that wasn't your core. So as part of your Phoenix plan or your you know, rise change, yeah. you, you looked at a different segment, which you know, is a, a better margin, a better GP dollar, cash better flow. cash flow. <laughs> actually, and, get, actually get paid. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that, that, I, I wanna bring that up because it sounds like that's something that you did yeah. as a part of that transition where construction was the core of the business and you decided that maybe that there's, there's other places where you can diversify. 
So part of that autopsy for me listening to you is diversification. Yeah, we moved from the four million or so in new construction that that went, that went down to seven hundred fifty thousand. That was all that became custom new construction at that point, and we became one hundred percent at that point residential replacement service maintenance. In, and we even launched an indoor air quality division with two uh, two duct cleaning trucks. And like I said, we went from I think it was about a five or six percent net profit. We were we were profitable as a new construction company. Uh, we went to twenty two percent net at eight million though. Yeah, eight million at twenty two sounds better than six million at five. Yeah, right? and Mix. to this day, it's it's amazing. To this day, the core of what I teach. So you also referenced clients. Uh, the core of what I teach to my clients that have been doing since nineteen ninety nine, also when I worked for Service Experts, is learn how to become master marketers and master salespeople. That that those two crafts. If you can do that. These guys know how to turn the wrenches, right? They know how to do that. They know how to light up the gauges and turn the wrenches and all that. But if you can make the phone ring yep. and you can create you know, con uh, conversions, yeah, game over. Awesome, awesome. G-Man, so we, we talk about your career from Linux to service experts. I know Buckeye Heating was a huge success. You've got a great company down here in Arizona now. Uh, a lot of success. <coughs> Winning. Winning. Is it getting old? Never. <laughs> Never. Never. Uh, but certainly along that path had to be some, some difficult moments. Oh, lots of them. Lots of them. So a couple of ideas. Um, you, and, and you raised this, um, you know, the, the debrief. Uh, so I'll talk about the failure, but then it's, it's all about, you know, how you debrief, how you learn. We, we have a cultural term. We call it, we're going to autopsy. You know, we made a mistake. So we literally have a cultural discussion in all of our companies about, it's okay to make a mistake. Everybody's going to screw up once in a while. And uh, the, the trick is, is to really look at it and uh, dissect it and autopsy it and find out uh, what could we have done differently? What did we learn from this? And then how do we go forward? How's the plan going forward? So um, for me, uh, it's very personal. Uh, it cost me $6 million is, uh, is the net loss for me personally. Uh, when I went to work for service experts, they gave me uh, $6 million worth of options. And so that was a pretty attractive thing. Uh, those are, that's not real money until you actually sell that <laughs> stock. So another lesson that comes out of that is if you're going to sell your company, probably want to get as much cash right. as you can, or at least liquidity, you know, so that you're not tied to the stock. Uh, but being a young man, uh, that was, that was transformational money at that point. Having worked for a corporation, they don't pay you enough money to be transformative. Uh, Lennox paid me very well. They trained me very well, spent a lot of money on my education and so forth. Uh, so when I went to work for Service Experts, um, we were tasked with, uh, you know, 240 centers, plus or minus, uh, of which your father's and your company was one of them. And uh, only about 40 to 45 companies were uh, operational on flat rate at the time. And so one of the initiatives was to put flat rate in with all the companies so that um, we essentially could uh, be consistent, raise prices. That's a way to raise your service prices. And the customer no longer is looking at the time and material and saying, well, you know, $180 an hour, I'm not going to do business with you. They would hang up the phone. Uh, so the base rate uh, at the time, most of the companies were averaging about $110, you know, per ticket. So the goal was to raise the average ticket. So we did, we launched flat rate across all the rest of these 200 companies that we own. And uh, we were very successful at that particular endeavor. So we raised the average ticket and uh, everybody, you know, was like, hey, let's do this. This is a great idea. Flat rate's the thing. This is like 96, 97, you know, so it was still on the front end of flat rate. 
Uh, so we did raise the average prices and the average tickets. What we neglected was the operational side of flat rate, which is time and material, the consumer is the police officer relative to your technician. Uh, they're paying attention to everything the tech is doing. And if the tech is, you know, um, is uh, not doing his work properly, I mean, they'll complain about that. So the, and the technician bills for his time against his labor. Uh, flat rate, obviously, the labor is now up to the technician. The customer no longer cares whether the tech makes six trips back to his truck or one trip. And so we successfully raised our revenues about 20% and uh, our labor went up about 42% mm. because we, were no, we, we did not have an operational system, no software, no tracking to be able to look at the technician's labor on the repair calls and labor escalated higher than the average ticket. So we, we did increase revenues. Um, we managed to miss our quarter, uh, that particular quarter, uh, because our costs went up. Uh, and of course, the rest is history. The stock at a small cap, Russell 500, essentially went from about $27 to $15 uh, before we ended the conference call in the morning. And by the end of the month, it was down trading around six. Uh, so for me personally, my strike option price was about $13, $14. So at 27, we're looking really good. You know, at six, you know, you're not going to borrow money and sell at a $7 loss. So um, that's personal from the standpoint of the and loss. But six, as a company, it cost you $6 million. Yeah, but as a company, let's expand that. There were 245 companies. There were a lot of people inside of service experts and a lot of families, about 40,000 employees, technicians, and so forth at the time, something along those lines, that all got impacted by that because mm -hmm. we made a boneheaded decision, you know, to not really look at what it took to actually implement the system across the whole company, uh, really just being greed focused, looking straight at the revenue, straight at what could do for, you know, the company's image and the stock. And uh, what we didn't realize was the impact of what, you know, the service business, which was about 30% of service experts revenue. And you, you start taking, you know, a 12 or 15% increase in labor. That was enough to make the profit. You know, we targeted 16% EBIT. And I think we were at about 12% when we, when we uh, announced at the quarter. You know, so you start talking about a half a billion dollar company at 12%, you think, well, that's pretty good, except Wall Street was expecting 16%. And that's a gargantuan miss. I mean, that might as well be the Grand Canyon of, in terms of the equity markets. So it obliterated wealth across everybody that was in the family wow. of the service experts companies. So there were a few companies that took cash, but most of the owners, really, they took stock or they took options. And so a lot of wealth went out the door because of that. Yeah. Uh, it was catastrophic. And so it's wow. uh, uh, literally one day when we were moving, um, I was uh, unpacking my file folders and I had all these paper options. And uh, my wife would not let me throw those away because we moved to Brentwood, Tennessee as a result of that, uh, me taking that job. And she said, that's also part of my pain. You're not allowed to get rid of those. <laughs> you have to keep those. Like, that's, that's a lesson. Uh, so the autopsy for us, you know, as we look at the trade, is, you know, we, need, we do need to look at the tickets. Uh, if you're not going to be uh, task-based or productivity pay, uh, which is a decision that a company makes, you don't have to be. So if you're paying hourly, you need to watch that labor as it relates to the overall price of the ticket and make sure that each ticket you know, is formulated as a, as a ticket. So if something gets out of whack, you catch that. Uh, we didn't install the software. We, we, we used STARS, uh, which was a platform that really wasn't very good. 
Uh, so your software system, your service management function, just everybody across the board needs to be paying attention to the cost of labor. You know, it's not the price that matters, it's the profit. So it's not, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. It's what you keep. You cannot fund a business and its growth without having proper cash flow. So yeah, we were really smart in the room. You know, we thought this was like the greatest idea ever. Like, hey, we're gonna raise revenues 20% right off the bat. This is gonna be great. We're gonna look like rock stars, you know, to the equity community. And uh, what we looked like was uh, people who didn't really know what we were doing, so.